The scripture this evening is Luke 2, 1 through 20. Hear this familiar and public reading of God's word. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring good news that will cause great joy for all of the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told to them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds had told them, said to them. <laughs> but Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all of the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. The word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be, be to, to God. God. Good evening. I'm Kevin. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, what is ringing your bell this Christmas? Uh, what's getting your attention? Uh, if you're like me, your front porch is probably a little busier around this time of year than normal. You've got a lot more people kind of coming and going, maybe more packages and things being, being delivered. We got one of those ring doorbells installed uh, this year, and so now I, I feel like I'm hyper aware of what's going on on my porch. It's just whenever anything happens, I get a, uh, an alert on my phone, you guys who, are, who have these are familiar with this. So, um, I mean, anything, right? A package delivery, somebody at the door, a bird landed in the yard. A, the wind came through and, and this one bush just moved. I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm uh, I don't know, it's, it's a little hyper-vigilant probably, but uh, it's, it's nice that uh, my, my doorbell is, is now 2.0 and it's, it's letting me know a whole lot more, maybe a little over-eagerly, but it's letting me know what's happening in my yard. Something is going on when, whenever I get one of those alerts, and that alert is telling me, it says, something's happening, pay attention. We use bells for all sorts of things, and they're all some variation of that same idea. Something's happening, pay attention, right? Generally, some version of the same purpose. Something is going on. Sometimes we use a bell to uh, remind us to get up in the morning, or students, you maybe have a bell that tells you when to get to class uh, maybe if you work in some places, you have a bell that uh, will let you know that there's a customer or there's a, 
uh, a dinner bell that lets us know that it's time to eat. Um, we have a thousand different kinds of bells and alerts and whistles and things like that that are on our phone now that will tell us, for instance, it'll give us a, a, a weather update or a warning or it'll remind us that it's time to go to that meeting or it'll give us the score on the game. We get all of these little bells and whistles on, on our phone. Sometimes a bell is just used to, uh, to celebrate. I have one on my watch that rarely tells me when I get 10,000 steps. That <laughs> happens so rarely that I, I, forget that it's, I forget what it's doing. It's like I'm getting shocked, and then I realize it's actually congratulating me, right? So uh, wedding bells or cowbells or more cowbells or whatever. I'm just going to leave that running for a moment so you can enjoy that. 2,000 years ago, a group of angels sounded the alarm to a group of shepherds, and they in essence, saying the same thing. Something's happening. Pay attention. And at the outset, it's important for you to know if you're, if, uh, if you're new to Stonebridge, you should know something weird about us. We actually believe that this happened. Like, we believe that this happened in real space and time, and we're not alone on this. The Bible, I believe, presents this as a historical event. This is not myth. This is not metaphor. This is not some fun story that we like to trot out every December like Frosty or, or Rudolph. We believe that this really happened in real time and space 2,000 years ago. And that's the way the Bible presents it. It happened in a real place, Bethlehem. It happened at, at, in a real, on a real date in the calendar. It happened during a, a, on a real time. It happened during a census. And you go, well, what census? Oh, well, it was the first census of Quirinius of Syria. And I know that helps you, right? So now you know which census it was. When the angels show up, they are punching through real time and space into this moment. I talked to somebody after the first service. They said, just a few weeks ago, we were in Israel. We were in Bethlehem. I mean, that's a, that gives it a new gravitas and reality where you can say, this really happened in a real place and time. So briefly, I want us to consider the, one, the ones who rang the bell and the ones who heard it. And you can hang everything that I'm about to say, say, say goodbye to more cowbell, you can hang everything that I'm about to say on this sentence. Christmas is an extraordinary message in an ordinary moment to ordinary people. Christmas is an extraordinary message in an ordinary moment to ordinary people. So I want us first, let's consider the moment. And I, I know that we know the story so well that we can already picture it framed on the, there it is on the Christmas card with the gold halo and, and, and all the rest. And we know this is a big moment or we wouldn't be here tonight celebrating it, obviously. But if you had been there 2,000 years ago, nothing about this moment would have rated even a pop-up alert on your phone. Nothing about this moment would have fallen into your daily news feed. Bethlehem was an average town. By all outward appearances, Joseph and Mary were just an average couple. And listen to the average setting. I mean, this is how it starts. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. Nothing says good news like a census, right? We're getting ready for one now. Think about the reason they're doing a census is so they can assess their tax base. There is nothing more average and ordinary than tax season. That's, that's the setting that this story happens in. If it were up to us, I think we would make this moment bigger we would, we would glamorize it, we would, we would flaunt it, we would put it, we'd, we'd advertise it, we'd hire PR firms for it, we would decorate for it, we would blast it on social media, we would broadcast it, we would create reality television programs about it with behind-the-scenes director's cut footage. We would make this big. We would ring the bell. 
Um, in 2007, Queen Elizabeth came to the United States for the 400th anniversary of Jamestown. And uh, she, when she came, it, it cost uh, $20 million for her six-day visit. $20 million for the queen to travel. She brought clothes and tiaras and plenty of hats. She brings, when she travels, 50 pair of white gloves because, as I always say, you can never have too many white gloves, right? <laughs> 40 pints of blood plasma, just in case. A certain kind of water, a certain kind of jam, a certain kind of tea, her favorite tea uh, set to go with it all, white leather toilet seat covers. I did not make that up. Uh, she will also bring with her her doctor, her hairdresser, two valets, 15 people from the foreign office, $20 million. Why? Because that's how royalty travels. You're not even shocked by that, are you? That's what a queen does. That's how royalty moves. She's the queen. She can do that. Contrast that visit from royalty with this one. A heavenly king who comes with no luggage, no fanfare, no entourage. The royal family doesn't even get a room. They have to settle for, in, in essence, the barn out back. God makes it intentionally average. And I, when I say that, I don't mean to demean the Christmas story at all by saying that. But the news, if you had been there, your news feed would have included the big names. Quirinius of Syria, Caesar Augustus, the people who were making the decisions, the big names. Joseph and Mary would not have ranked a footnote After Jesus is born, the scene shifts then to this, uh, uh, this ordinary hillside with ordinary shepherds keeping ordinary sheep that are eating ordinary grass. You get the point. And the, there's good reason to believe, in fact, that these shepherds were maybe not even just ordinary. They might have been even considered at this point to be subordinary. Uh, in the Old Testament, we know that shepherding was an honored profession. Some of the greats of the Bible, Jacob, Moses, uh, David, they were all shepherds, right? But somewhere, we know that this happened somewhere in the first century, that there was a shift in attitude towards shepherds, that they were seen as more of a disreputable class somewhere in the first century AD. Um, they were, first of all, they, by their nature of their job, they were nomadic. That made them kind of shifty, untrustworthy, gypsy kind of lifestyle, right? Uh, on top of that, because of the nature of their profession, it was hard for them to stay ceremonially clean, which meant they weren't allowed in the temple. Eventually, they weren't even allowed in the courts to give testimony. So these guys were not the most trusted. Now, we don't know where in this moment, uh, maybe these guys were uh, deplorable or maybe they were honored. We know where things are shifting for, uh, for the, the reputation of shepherds. But what we do know is you could not have assembled a more, uh, a, a more ordinary Joe band of guys than these guys. And I know that we, we think, wow, you know, the, I mean, the shepherds, when you set up your nativity set and uh, uh, you're decorating for Christmas, the shepherds look like they belong. You know where they go. They go right between Mary and the wise men. You just kind of set up there next to the camel. They look like they fit, but they don't fit. In this setting, they don't fit. We would invite the important people if it were up to us. So if it's not obvious by now, what I'm, what I'm trying to do, what I'm trying to set the scene right up until the nanosecond before the first angel shows up. And I hope that I've made the case that this is a really basic, average, ordinary moment on planet Earth from the point of view of anyone who was observing it in that moment. And if you take out all the expectation and all the prophecy and all of our, our 2020 hindsight, and you remove all of that, if you take all of that out of the picture 
and you look at this maybe from the point of view of the, the innkeeper or one of the shepherds or just a man on the street in Bethlehem, what you've got here is a, a, just a young couple having a baby in impoverished conditions. That's what you've got. On any given night, in any given town, on any given date on the calendar, with any given blue-collar guys working the third shift down the street. Why is that so important? Why am I trying to make that point? It's this. Because if Jesus could walk into this ordinary, then he could walk into your ordinary. That is supposed to be a click. I'm clicking and click. There, okay. Can you guys advance it for me? Okay. Um, if Jesus could walk into this ordinary, then he can walk into your ordinary. You see why that's so important that we just see that this is normal space and time, ordinary day. This is what the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords walked into. He enters the normal. If you, if you turn this whole setting into like an oil painting or some beautiful stained glass depiction, it, it, it loses it. It becomes uh, less tangible to us. It, it becomes more, more distant and less applicable to us. But when we realize that this is Emmanuel, God with us, really with us, a Savior who is tangible and, and near and pertinent to every single average ordinary minute of your life. Now, there's something that's much more appropriate and tangible to us, right? You know, we spend, I'm convinced that we spend 99% of our lives waiting for something, waiting for the next big thing to happen. Define what, think about whatever your next big thing is. And we spend 99% of our lives kind of in those moments between the big things that we're anticipating, Right? So if you're, in, if you're in high school, your, your next big moment is, is graduation and you can leave, right? If you're in college, it's, it's the diploma, it's, a, it's, it's, your, it's your degree and it's, it's um, the next, um, it's your first job. If you're single, it's being married. If you're married, it's having kids. If it's kids, it's them graduating and goodbye and they're, they're gone, right? Um, it, it, it's waiting for tenure. It's waiting to pass your boards. It's, it's, it's grandkids or it's retirement. It's, it's whatever that next moment is. But life is what happens in the 99% of the time between those moments. That's where we live life. Life isn't the big moments. Life is the, is the day-to-day, minute by minute. What's the next moment in your grand scheme as you're thinking ahead? What's, what's that next moment? If you ask him, Jesus will be there for you in that moment, in those cross dissolves between the now and, and the next but he wants to be in those moments between as well. Because if he can step into that ordinary, he can step into your ordinary. He's pertinent and tangible to every minute of your life, every second. And the, entering into the ordinary means entering into the place where you spend 99% of your life. And that means that who he is matters on Monday morning, on Friday afternoon, on Christmas Day. Jesus is not just pertinent to our lives for a couple of holidays a year. He wants more than that. I get so encouraged. Can you tell when I read about these shepherds? Because I, I love, have I mentioned that they're average, that it's ordinary? Have I mentioned that yet? I probably have. Um, they're average, that's me too. It just, it just feels like I could step into that scene, right? They're, they're nobody special. 
Me too. They are not the holy ones. They're, they're not the honorable ones. That's me too. And by the way, they're clueless. That's me too, right? None, none of them were, I bet, I'm sure, were, were dreaming on that night going, you know what would be awesome tonight? You know what would be, a, this is a great night for just like a, a terrifying band of singing angels to just show up. Like we, we should pray for that. Let's, let's pray and see what happens, right? This was not their idea. This was God's idea. In other words, God initiated it, not them. That's me too. This is God's idea. This is God's script. And he makes the first move as he does in my life and yours. Remember that we use bells to say, something's happening, pay attention. So here's God's bell. Can I get the next slide? It says, an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. The, the angels have the other side of the story. So take for a moment, I've asked you to consider this from the point of view of all the people that were around in that moment 2,000 years ago. But step out of that for a minute now and step into the angel's point of view. The shepherds have been taking it day to day. The angels have been anticipating this for thousands of years. They've seen the whole story. They know the plot. And by the way, the Bible is one story. I know when I was a kid, I just felt like it was 500 different stories. Um, if, if you send your kids uh, to our uh, children's programming here, and, and adults, you'll get this too. We try and say how each of those stories fits into the big story. The angels have seen the big story. The angels know it and they understand how it fits together. They saw God create a world that was good, 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 very good. They saw him place mankind into that world to bear his image into it. They saw that man and woman choose not to trust God, but instead to aspire to be God and to rebel. They saw the, the broken state that that put humanity in. They saw the brokenness that that put creation in. They saw our rebellion and our idolatry, they saw us find all kinds of unique ways of trying to figure out how to make life work without God. They saw even the best people and the best characters from those stories fail. They saw God's people move into the promised land and then they saw God take them out of the promised land into exile. They saw um, the, the people build a temple for God and then they saw them worshiping anything but God. Some, it occurred to me that some of these angels might have been the same ones that delivered messages to the prophets along the way, anticipating a day when God would send his Messiah, when God would provide a full payment for, for sin. So I have to imagine that heaven has been holding its breath for this one as it's seen the whole plot. They know that there is nothing ordinary about this ordinary night. And these angels would have understood, and I can picture them talking to God and saying, as God gets ready to send them, Lord, we can't give them advice. We can't tell them what to do because they don't listen to us. They can't do it. Their sin is killing them. We can't 
give them advice. And I picture God in the royal court telling the angels, I know, and I'm not sending you to give them advice. I'm sending you to give them news. I don't want you to tell them what to do. I want you to tell them what I've just done. Do that. And so the lead angel gets this line. It says, I bring you good advice, right? No, I bring you good news. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people today, today, in the town of David, space and time, today, in a town, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And then on the heels of that, it's like the, the heaven just rips open for a moment. We just see the whole host of heaven they could not hold it in anymore. In fact, the word in Greek, it says suddenly, it's as if just like that, the volume gets turned up to 11. And you hear this, a great company of the heavenly host appears with the angel praising God and saying glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. There is such an eternity of, of anticipation that is just <laughs> unleashed on those poor shepherds in that moment. Angels doing cartwheels, figuratively or maybe literally, saying glory to God. God is awesome. Can you believe he finally did it? The one who can fix everything that's wrong with everything has just come into the world and he is right down there, guys. And then, boom, they're gone. <laughs> In a moment, everything is quiet again. Everything is ordinary again. We're back to the ordinary hill with the ordinary shepherds, ordinary sheep eating ordinary grass. But God just rang their doorbell. He just wowed them with a sky full of text alerts. Something's happening. Pay attention. This baby is a king. This king is the son of God. The son of God will willingly go to a cross to pay the price for our rebellion. And because the biggest enemy that we face is death, he'll take care of that one too. Three days later, he'll walk out of his own tomb and be the death of death. And he shall reign forevermore. That is not advice. That is news. Now, what will you do with that news? We'll talk about that in a minute. But if you see yourself as part of this overarching story where you have to admit that you're part of that that trajectory too of just trying to make life work without God, then there's really good news for you tonight. Good news of great joy. Good news of great joy. A Savior has been born to you, the Christ, your King. Let's pray for a moment. Lord, all other kings started as a baby. But this baby we celebrate tonight, Lord, was already a king. You left heaven uh, to come into the average of our lives, the ordinary of our lives. And Jesus, your, your whole earthly ministry did the same thing. You, you ministered to, to broken and needy, ordinary people, lepers and, and widows and, and invalids. Your commitment to the ordinary is extraordinary, Lord. Lord, thank you that you would show your love in this, that while we were still sinners, you came. You lived. You died for the ungodly. You rose again. You accomplished the death of death. And, and here we are, Lord, again in the season that comes around every year where we try and uh, remind ourselves of the, the love with which you came. Father, don't let us miss what your 
telling us by this moment what you did for us and what that says about you, what it says about your unfailing love for your people. And so, Father, we thank you in the name of Jesus, our Savior, who is Christ the King. Amen.